Hello and welcome to the ABC Always Be Consulting podcast presented by Thomas Ryan Real Estate. Throughout this segment, I will sit down with industry professionals and really dive into their specific aspect of a real estate transaction and beyond. The ultimate goal is to inform you, the buyer or seller, so when the time comes for you to navigate the sale of a property or the purchase of a new one, you'll be better informed and ultimately more comfortable throughout the process. If you have specific topics that you are interested in learning about, or you have specific industry professionals you'd like me to interview, please let me know. I can be reached via email at thomasryan at kw.com or via Instagram at thomasryanrealestate. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome. This is the first episode of Always Be Consulting. Today I'm sitting down with Brandon Bianchi and Kevin McKee with Chicago Title, and we're going to talk about all things title. So as we get into it, let's first get to know you guys, kind of who are you, uh, where are you from, a little backstory as far as um, how you got in the business. Great. I'm Brandon Bianchi, um, born and raised in the city of Tustin, grew up through the Tustin Unified School District. Went on from there to get a business degree in marketing from Cal State Fullerton. I'm married, been married for, to my wife, Christy, for 14 years. We have three children together, Braden, who's 12, my daughter, Camden, who's nine, and Bryson, who is four today, actually shares a birthday with Kevin. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we service the Tustin area. I've been in the industry, um, in the title industry for 10 years, in the real estate industry for 15. I did loans before uh, getting into title. Okay. Did you do anything before loans? No, yeah. So coincidentally, we were, uh, we were recruited, both Kevin and I, to go do loans for a brokerage when we were doing a, um, this was a part-time seasonal deal we were doing, but we were doing a Christmas lighting business. Okay. And so we would, from December to January, we're working after hours after our regular job of Installing lights, taking them down, yeah. servicing them. But uh, prior to that, I did a lot of um, customer service type stuff. I worked for Quicksilver, and um, then I did a maintenance kind of job for the Tustin School District for a while um, as I was going through college. Gotcha. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin McKee. Uh, uh, let's see, I grew up in Tustin also. I went through the Tustin Unified School District, got a business and marketing degree from Vanguard University. Uh, been in title now. 15 years, uh, like Brandon said, we've known each other since junior high and uh, worked together for going on 20 years, probably more than that. Uh, been married to my wife, Lauren, for 12. Uh, have a daughter, Riley, who is 11, and a son, Chase, who's eight. Very nice. When you say you work the Tustin area, what, is, what does that exactly mean um, for those that may not know in the title business? So title reps are typically territory-based, so our territory is Tustin, Orange, Villa Park. It expands out, as you can imagine, in any kind of sales job, that expands out to customers are moving. It's forever changing the environment, so um, you know, once you establish a working relationship with somebody, we have clients that we really never see. We communicate over email and phone, um, but it's just once they become part of your team, then they're attached to you, and, and it's, it's more so... They work with you because of the relationship, not necessarily the area. So as as people move on with their lives, the territory kind of changes as well. Yeah, I can attest to that. I yep. was in the Newport Beach, the Irvine office, and now I'm out in Chino Hills, and we've maintained that relationship for I don't know how many years. years yeah. Now. yeah. Um, funny story, actually. The first time I, the way we got in contact was Brandon was 
drove a key out all the way out to Chino, to my house in Chino, right. um, for the first time, and that's kind of when I knew, all right, these are the guys that I need to work with. <laughs> Drive out to Chino from Tustin to, to bring out a key on the weekend. So yeah. without even any business-oriented or anything like that. Uh, and so the, the company you work for is currently Chicago Title. Right. Um, have you always been with Chicago Title? How long have you been with them? Um, kind of what's, what's the backstory on that? Kevin and I both have been really a team since 2010. Um, so we were with First American Title and uh, moved over to Chicago. We were at First American. Kevin was there for years. I was there for seven years. And then we've been at Chicago going on three years now. Okay. Um, both both great companies. Uh, just differences of, you know, some minute differences in what each company does, but both great companies. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so how long in the business individually again? Uh, in Title, 10 years. In 15. 10, 15. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So how does your team work exactly? Um, I think it may be a little atypical. Typically, um, title guys are kind of on their, maybe on their own, um, maybe with the team, but um, as a partnership. How does, how does that work out? How does any structure that? I would say our relationship is very unique. Uh, I think you mentioned, but we've known each other since sixth grade. Yeah. So it's, it's very unique. It's not just a partnership in, in work. Like we have... We have a relationship that extends past that. So the the work side of it is easily done. We both know we both go out and give 110% every day. So anything that comes in, we're just, we split everything down the middle. So it's, it's this is, we're both working for the same goal. Our families, our friends outside of this. It's just, it's a different, unique relationship than you see the traditional team have. But um, our team, our team works and just that, like there's just 100% trust and we both know we're after the same goal every day, and we do have an inside guy, Russell, who works with us, and he's inside. He's checking the programs, checking the data, um, so he's a lot of that internal help for us. While Kevin and I are out in the field daily. Got it. Speaking of that, um, what, uh, what what does your day to day look like? How does what's your day to day? We're usually out the door, probably seven forty-five, eight o'clock in the morning, um, and we typically try to divide and conquer. So we will. We try not to be in the same offices in the same area at the same time. Okay. Uh, so uh, Mondays, typically for me, is kind of the Anaheim Hills to Orange to Villa Park, uh, Santa Ana areas, and then Brandon will be in Tustin on Mondays, um, and then Tuesdays we flip flop. So what are you doing? Just walking the street, or what? We are seeing clients in their offices, gotcha. um, and quite often, a majority of our days spent in parking lots. Um, because while we attempt to go out and uh, see people and make office visits and stay in contact with them, um, problems arise. Emails, phone calls, and whatnot. And so we'll pull over a parking lot and just start answering emails one by one. And, and um, unlike others, we are actively involved with our clients. So you know you can call us, hey, just heard from escrow, we have this issue or whatnot. And so we will uh, immediately jump in and get with the title unit, get with Russell uh, to get this get this uh, issue solved. Yeah, I, I yeah I can definitely test that as well. I mean, I'll shoot you a text, email, whatever. I know you're not in the office or sitting right in front of the computer. Yet two minutes later, I have a property profile from most likely Russell. Right. Is my right. Um, what are you seeing in the market, like, kind of? this week, this month, or just kind of over the past few months? Like, kind of what are you seeing? I know we chatted a couple weeks ago, and it was like, okay, a bunch of refis towards the end of the month trying to get through. Um, yeah. You know, obviously we're 
off a shift from the holiday season. Yeah. Those are well past us now, and we're kind of shifting to that pre-spring season. So kind of what what are you seeing from, from your perspective as far as that goes? It's it's busy. It's a good market right now um, with rates where they're at. It's extremely competitive rates. Money is very cheap. Um, we're seeing for that normal holiday lull, we're seeing that that's picked up sooner than it did in years prior. Okay. Um, which is which is great. There is low inventory um, locally. There's low inventory, and but the demand is still there. I mean, we're seeing cash offers over asking. Uh, the money's there. It, it's, I, you know, you've been. Everybody's been saying, "Oh, the market's going to take a turn, take a turn." I haven't seen it come off the gas pedal at all. It's been um, it's been a great market to be in and, and increasing over the years. Yeah. Fair enough. Seeing someone. So. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll get into some more like title specific, like into the business questions. Um, well, but just first off the bat, what what is title insurance? What's the the best definition for, for what that is? Title insurance is uh, basically any time a property is bought, sold, or financed, um, a record of that transaction is filed in public archives. Um, lot, much like that, any previous record. Is, is also recorded or filed in public archives, so any other transactions on that property. So what the title insurance companies do is we compile all this data through data sources and we produce a report called the preliminary title report. We try to remedy anything on that report that we can through records. Um, the remaining items that are still in existence are sent out on the report to escrow. Escrow then communicates with the seller to try to rectify any of those order demands, payoffs, for any of the liens or encumbrances on that property, and um, their goal is to pass clear and marketable title to the new buyer. Now, what the title insurance policy does is it protects the buyer and the lender on the policy to um, from to protect them from any loss or any defect in title that comes up. It protects them from any loss, protects their loss and their legal fees. Got it. All right. That was a very short way of explaining a lot it's of very, things. Yeah, yeah, it's very cumbersome. Yeah. The the whole processes and and you know I'm sure we're going to get into what what is a claim and whatnot, but there's so many different examples that you can go through. So in a nutshell, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. That's what it yeah. is. Now, in a transaction, who typically chooses title and who pays for it? Typically, around around here in Southern California, we see that the seller seller works with their listing agent to choose a title company. Um, oftentimes, the listing agent will provide insight to. Hey, this company or this sales rep or this team is a trusted part of my team, um, and I know that if a situation arises or hiccups happen, that I can turn to them and they can assist in, in getting the deal closed. So on a on a sale, uh, typically, like I said, the owner and the listing agent would get together and choose the title company, um, and then again, tip, uh, standard to Southern California, typically the seller pays for it. Got it. And what's the typical cost? Of There's not really a typical cost. It's a scale. Um, in a sale, the owner's policy is based on the sales price. Um, on the purchase side, for the buyer, if they're getting a loan, it would be the lender's policy, and that would be based on the loan amount. Um, also, same with the, like the refinance. The refinance is based on the loan amount. So as the liability or the sales price and uh, loan amount increases, as does the title insurance cost. Right. For an example, that the $500,000 owner's policy is right under $1,600. Okay. And on that, if the, if the buyer was putting 20% down, they'd have a $400,000 loan. 
and that loan policy, concurrent search, which is a whole different topic, but concurrently search with the owner's policy, that's about uh, right under 800. Got it. Um, now, you know, like there's home warranties, different things like that. You know, you're going to run down a closing statement when you're buying a buyer or seller, and they'll look at the line items and be like, well, do I really need that? Is this needed? Now, is, is, uh, is title insurance necessary for buyers to need it? It's it's necessary. We we think you need it. Um, you know, I think the biggest I think the biggest testament to that is your typical lenders, Wells Fargo, B of A, Citibank. They're not loaning on the house without title insurance. So if that doesn't state it enough that we should have title insurance, I don't know what will. I mean, they're protecting their investment as as the buyers should. Yeah. Um, now you said approximate cost on the sliding scale. Is that uh, annual fee? Is that a Buying what it has, it has that so one time fee. One time fee. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, let's see here. What does title insurance protect the homeowner's investment in case of a claim, or how? Do you want to take that? I'll talk about the claim we just had. Uh, the policy it, it ensures that, as Brent said prior, that you have a clear multiple title, that nothing is going to come up from the past. Uh, unlike normal uh, insurance products, which cover today going forward each time you make a payment with title insurance we insure today when you purchase the product going back to in essence the beginning of time so if somebody comes back to state claim uh, in your property or a creditor uh, comes back and says hey the prior owner owed me money and now it's attached to your property what we do is we protect against that we say no we we've issued you a policy saying that in fact nothing so everything's good don't worry, we step in and we will um, basically be your defense Got to that. Got well, yeah, I was kind of doing my next claim is what what are types of claims? So if you want to give an example or, or a rundown of we have a pretty type. relevant example okay. that was recent. Um, so there's a ton of broad in the industry right now. Um, so I'm going to run through an example and try to try to follow me on this. So a guy, a, a gentleman, we'll call him the fraudster. He, he was keeping an eye on a vacant house. Okay. So he found out who the owner was through records. It's all public records. Found out through the, who the owner was, made a fake ID. Um, he broke into the house, changed the locks. The power was on in the house. And then he found a forward-facing website. And we've all seen them where it's a sign at the end of the street or at the end of the off-ramp that says, hey, we buy your house, we, buy, we fix them, you know, all cash offer. He found one of those websites, he called the investor, said, hey, you want to meet me at the house? I want to sell my house. Yep, met him at the house. We can't go in, it's tenant-occupied. Well, he had put uh, some furniture in there, um, said it was tenant-occupied. The investor made an offer on it. The guy took it. It was notarized, which is normally a check and balance on it, but the notary, who coincidentally, after the fact, we contacted, um, had said her stamp had been duplicated, mm. but it wasn't reported yet. Mm which is a problem. Um, so we, we, insured the pol we insured the policy for this investor. The investor went to sell and somehow the real owner found out and said, hey, wait a second, I didn't sell that property. Well, so it's our job. We since then made the investor whole, paid him his money back because he bought the property and post policy forgery and fraud is covered in your insurance. Mm -hmm. So we made the investor whole and now obviously we're gonna go after the gentleman that um, frauded us and we're going to go after the money that way. Hopefully it's still in 
the United States. I mean, with the, with a lot of fraud nowadays, where you'll see on all of our outgoing emails from the title unit, it says, "Be careful wire fraud." There's a lot of email hacking going on. Where um, you know, always call and check with your escrow. It's yeah. I mean, you know it. Yeah. You're doing the drills. Encrypted so emails yeah. and all kinds of things. Yeah, there's lots of different tactics that escrows using and stuff like that. Right. The money going where it should be. So, yeah. Yeah. Very important. Um, touching back, I know it's a one-time fee, and how long does that last? How long does the coverage last? While you own the house. Well, yes, yeah, while you own the house. Um, what is a title search? I know we kind of mentioned that at the beginning, and what kind of problems can it reveal? I know that's kind of touching base again, mm -hmm. but um, what, what is title search when you say that? We're going and searching public records, court cases, um, search a general index, we're searching easements, CCRs. Which you know, just saying those things, I can we can talk about multiple claims yeah. based on um, a couple of those. Uh, but we we go through and search all of these records, and we're finding stuff, including the owner's name, where a lot of times there's a similar name, uh, which we'll get into. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure. I've but that statement of information, right? Yeah. So what what exactly does that mean? Exactly. It sounds very like serious. So with the statement of information, we ask for we ask for it on every uh, transaction. Um, the buy, both the buyer and the seller fill it out. What it is is it asks for the last 10 years of, his, of your uh, residential history, um, asks for some pertinent information, middle name, um, last four of your social, things like that. Because oftentimes when you have a common name, let's say a John Smith, for example, um, we will search prior to issuing the uh, final policy, we will search the, what's called the general index, where it's another source where data is compiled of uh, liens that are attached to people's names. It may not have made it to the house or the home or the property yet, but it's in there that John Smith owes Bank of America credit card $50,000. They filed the judgment, it's against John's name, it just hasn't attached to the property. Well, if we were to insure a sale, Bank of America could come back to us as a title insurance company and say, John owed us $50,000, now therefore you owe us $50,000. So, we search that general index, John's name, we take the statement of information, and there may be, uh, let's say, 20 hits, we call them, um, or 20 potential liens against John's name come up. We take that statement of information, cross-reference it with like, the last four of the social, middle initial, uh, residential uh, history, which these things are typically noted on the judgment itself, and we can eliminate our seller, John Smith, from these other potential uh, hits. Got it, got it. So this search, um, and to get a clear report, um, does it take like 30 day escrow, or how long, is that, how long does that take? Our typical term times, it's, it, it all depends on how, how many influx of orders have come in, right? Sure. But our okay. typical term times are about two days. Um, we can always rush stuff out when, when we do get a cash deal, when escrow comes in and says it's a cash deal we want to rush, we can produce a report in a day. Okay. Um, but you know, there is some some uh, well-being to taking our time with the search. We want to make sure it's right. Yeah. Um, so, and a lot of times, if things haven't been searched in a long time, it's a little harder to doc document get that information to us. So, they they're not all cut and dry. Take two days, yeah. but um, some some are quicker. Some are a little bit longer. Is that all? I mean, is it is there a lot of manpower in that? Is it a lot of technology and computerized or? How? A lot of it's gone computerized. Where there there's. Um, Title plants online, records online, um, but sometimes if you're going back into the, you know, here in in uh, Old Town Orange, you're going back to 1910 that properties are around. So if you have to go back and search all the way back to the beginning of the existence of the home, 
then it does take some time and it's a manual search. Yeah, got it. Yeah, makes sense. Um, now, another thing that they're involved in is towards the end of the transaction, I'm calling Brandon saying, hey, did we close and record? Um, so how does that process work? You know, from day one of the transaction, obviously, we, we do a title search, progress through, and then towards the end, towards the closing, how does that process work with escrow involved? So escrow is really the point man on it. I would say um, they're once we send the report to escrow, they're they're getting the uh, demands like payoff demand for a loan. Let's say they're getting that um, once all the money's in, uh, then they say okay, we're ready to fund. It funds. We get the lender's money. Um, that then that we send out the docs that are sent to us from escrow after the sellers doing their signing. Those documents we're abstracting those. Send them out to the county for recording. What are those do documents? like the grant deed okay um, so we send that out to recording once we hear back from the county that we have confirmation of recording that's typically when agents are exchanging keys at that point unless there's you know they have three days after the fact um, so that's your typical closing process escrow is really the point man on it um, where they communicate with our title unit but it's uh it going back to that statement of information that could be the number one delay in a closing because sometimes we'll get that back. Like escrow sends that out in their paperwork mm -hmm. initially, and sometimes we don't get that back till the day of closing, and then there's a judgment that pops up, right. and that produces some problems. Yeah. Very oftentimes we get a statement of information request and it's nothing, right? right. But um, or at least in my experience, fortunately. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there could always be a possibility yeah. that it's the wrong John Smith. And sometimes sellers aren't always honest with you out of embarrassment for financial situations or just life in general. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're not totally forthright with you. So uh, we had one just recently where there was a uh, $150,000 IRS lien. Um, agent, the listing agent did not know about it. Mm. And the seller, I think, quite frankly, was just trying to not acknowledge it and maybe it'll go away. Didn't think it'd get caught by yeah. And, the, and the day we um, were set to record, the SI came in that morning, we ran the SI, and sure enough, found it. So everybody's uh, frantically running around trying to figure out what we're going to do when we're supposed to be exchanging keys, and this is supposed to be a happy day yeah. for a buyer. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's like Brandon said, very, very, very important. There's, there's actually an interesting fact that we had um, on a flyer previously that... Uh, talks about title insurance and what at no cost to the taxpayer we're collecting a lot of support judgments we're collecting back tax liens um, and, and collecting just any judgment or any collection of funds that are due that haven't been collected upon at no cost to the taxpayer those title companies are going forward and saying hey this needs to be cleared before you sell your property it's it's in the billions of dollars that they collect annually right. it's yeah. yeah it's crazy there there's a uh, you never think about that side. I never thought about that before I got into title. Um, and it's it's a pretty neat thing. Yeah. Child yeah. support, spousal support, um, IRS link, property tax, state tax, all sorts of things that uh, really, like Ryan said, at no cost to the consumer or taxpayer, um, we're clearing that up. Mm -hmm. So we've closed escrow. Property's in my name now. Um, now what? What do I need to be looking out for? Um, Obviously, the unfortunate event that I pass away, what happens with the property, what, how can I secure that, what, what's some advice as far as that goes? Some of the best advice we can say and through the tough times we've seen people go through is putting your property into a living trust. Consult with an estate attorney, 
or um, that, that you can do them online some places and put the property in the living trust. You will have to record the grant deed from yourself to the living trust, but it does help you avoid probate, which um, can cost a ton of money. Uh, I think I think there's a calculation, and I think it's the first hundred thousand is four percent, second hundred thousand is three percent, and then up to the next eight hundred thousand it's two percent. So that's just to have the property go through the process of probate. Then you sell it and pay the fees for selling the property as well. So um, it. It can be cumbersome. There's a, it takes it, the process takes a lot of time. Where if it's in a living trust, we as the title company will then follow the provisions of the trust and say, okay, so and so's two these two trustees are deceased. It's supposed to go to so and so. They have the right to sell on their own. So now we're following the provisions of that trust. So it's always been in the trust. There are some. I don't even want to say disadvantages to it, but there are where you have to keep information inputting it and taking it out of the trust as a bank account cancels you've got to pull that out of the trust as one um, as you acquire a new bank account it has to be put in but a lot of those trusts have a space for manually writing that in okay so it, it's pretty easy you just have to stay on top of it just making sure I, mm -hmm. it's accounted for yeah right. so um, what what is what is go can you go into detail about probate a little more what what exactly that means so it's, it's the court's decision on who who has the right to the property, whether there's a will. Um, a lot of people think, well, I have a will and I'm in it, or my grandfather had a will and I'm, I'm the one that should inherit the property. The court still has to be the one to decide that. It can't just be because it's on a piece of paper and there's a lot of checks and balances and who made this will, was it signed by our guy? Um, so were they in the right mind? Right. You know, were, were they sick? Were they you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, things like that, where a family member can attest or, or um, claim that they weren't of capacity. Right. And then how, going back again, uh, just how exactly would you go about getting a living trust? So, Contact an estate attorney or um, LegalZoom has them. Uh, uh, there's examples all over online. Uh, we did one for our house and we just consulted an, an estate attorney. Uh, they range from 500 to $1,200. Very cheap in the long yeah. run. In comparison, oh, very cheap. For you or your Children. Yeah. Um, are there any topics that I or questions that I should have asked? Um, you guys are inside of this every day and see different things that maybe we, maybe you clean up before I even have a, a knowledge of them. Anything that sparks your memory? I think there's a lot of things we do try to remedy before we send it out, but you know, I think to, the takeaway is. We're not perfect. Things come up after after uh, after the search is done. Things come up. There's off-record matters that we don't see. So the importance of title insurance, it's extremely important. Um, it, it can help save the cost of the property plus the loan you put on it. You know, and that's a that's a big could be a big number. And this is a you know for for this consumer going through this. Some of them go through it maybe twice in their lifetime. They don't understand it, and and I don't expect them to. But there is, there is there's material out there. Like, we have a buyer's guide. You've seen it, um, that you can push that out to your client if they want it. It kind of goes through basically what we're talking about in detail, kind of goes through the process. It's, it's good educational material. And I have to say, I know Kevin and I were talking about it. We're, this is awesome you're doing this, and hopefully this turns into an educational series about, about the transaction. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, 
it's some of these questions obviously I know the answer to, but uh, yeah. right, yeah, you do, but but yeah. hopefully that's pushed on to the consumer, and and it's for as many times as they go through this, they need something like this. There's not there's not like a set in stone place where they can go and say, okay, here's what's going to happen throughout my transaction. So this is it's a great resource for them. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, to your point, it's a required thing by a lot of vendors and stuff like that. They're not going to obviously just figure, okay, I have to do it, but. You know, I kind of think of it like any other insurance, health insurance. Oh, I'm a healthy young guy. Like, I don't need health insurance. And then you, you get an accident. Right. You break the leg. You, and then yeah. you don't know you need it till you need it. Um, but again, obviously you need it. But, but I think the um, the living trust thing is a, is a big takeaway. I think we've talked about this, like, every time we talk, have a conversation, like, this is a big push that you guys push for. This. So um, definitely a good takeaway. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having um, us. Yeah, so the first episode of Always Be Consulting. Well, Ben Gary Gink went off, so yeah, reference yeah. that. But um, yeah, so thanks, guys, and um, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.